Hey everyone, hope everyone is doing well. Tonight it will just be me because Brother Stefan will not be able to make it. So unfortunately, you'll be stuck with me for the night. I'm looking forward to it because we'll be going through the millennium. Not specifically really uh, what is the millennium, but what I want to focus on tonight is why we can believe in a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ and how that kind of fits in with replacement theology. So I'm looking forward to tonight and I hope you guys enjoyed as well. waiting for more people to be joining. We'll just give it a few more minutes for more people to join and then we will start. Hey Lego Nero, thanks for joining. Just waiting for more people to join. Hey Ruth the Truth, thanks for joining. Glad to have you guys on. Just waiting for more people. And then we'll get started once more people join. And it will just be me tonight, but once more people join, I'll explain uh, the situation and then we will start. You guys are doing well tonight so tonight we'll be talking about the millennium the millennial reign of Christ for apologetics so it'll be kind of apologetics with about prophecy as well hey Rav Shear thanks for joining nice to have you on still waiting for a few more people to join Once more people join, we can get started. So, and it'll just be me tonight. Um, I'll explain the situation later. Thanks for joining. Okay, while waiting for people, um, I guess just general announcements, general, um, quickly taking care of some things. Um, you guys can follow us at Fig Tree Watchers on Instagram, obviously. Um, we are on Facebook as well. Um, we're going to be planning on starting a Twitter account soon for Fig Tree Watchers, and we're also on Telegram. Last night, Brother Stefan and I did the Bible Prophecy Night, as we usually do every week, and I actually uploaded the document I read off of, so the document with all the articles, all the links. I uploaded there on Fixture Watchers, so if you want something like that at the end of all our shows, definitely follow Fixture Watchers on Telegram. Um, and I'll be, the, the document I'll be going off of tonight as well, I'll be uploading that on Fixture Watchers as well. So you guys can always follow us on those platforms. Hey Maha, thanks for joining. Uh, it's been a while now, so I'll just start. 
And then as I'm sure as the night goes on, more people will be joining. So as I said earlier, it's just me tonight. Uh, Brother Stefan is kind of feeling the weather tonight. Um, he has a migraine. He's not feeling too well. So he just asked me to, you know, take care of it for the night. And I'm sure he's going to be back Monday, uh, Lord willing, with the remainder of his um, uh, IG lives that he does throughout the week. So you guys can just keep him in prayer uh, for just a speedy recovery. Uh, that would be great. We'll, um, we'll be praying for him here tonight as well. So and I'll be sure to repeat that for those who come join later. Okay, so I'll just pray and we'll get started. So Father, we thank you for the ability we have to gather here using technology. We thank you that although we're at different places around the world, we can just come together in your name. We just thank you for the freedom we have to freely uh, read your word, listen to your word, talk about Bible prophecy, talk about apologetics, um, and be encouraged from your word, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray for tonight that you use it to bless us, to equip us, to encourage us to share the gospel with others. We pray for Brother Stefan, who's currently not feeling too well right now. We just pray for speedy recovery for him, uh, that you strengthen him, Lord, in this time so he can come back and uh, just continue to be used by you and so you continue to work through him as well so that others can be encouraged and uplifted uh, by him, Lord. And we pray for any brothers and sisters uh, watching this or on the replay who are also dealing with their own things, maybe just general issues at work, general issues uh, with relationships, health issues. We pray uh, that you are with them as well, Lord, that you heal them, that you strengthen them during the periods of time where they're having difficulty, Lord, and they use um, these times like this to encourage them, not because of what Brother Stefan or I say, but so, but because we point them back to your word, Lord. So may, may we leave encouraged tonight uh, as, as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, guys, so the topic of tonight will be on the millennial reign of Christ. So this one is both apologetics and Bible prophecy. Uh, I, it, it's kind of relating to um, replacement theology as well. So we've actually, Brother Stefan and I have actually done two a two-part replacement theology, um, I guess, series, you can call it, series of videos, I think earlier in May this year, actually. So this would kind of be part three in a mix of millennium as well. And while and when I get into this, it's kind of going to make sense as to why I'm kind of mixing in replacement theology with the millennium with that. Uh, because with replacement theology, replacement theology is essentially the belief that the church has replaced Israel, right? So that Israel, all the blessings and all the promises that God had for Israel um, no longer exist for Israel. And the church currently possesses those blessings. And your view of Israel in the Bible affects everything, including Bible prophecy, including the millennium. So my focus tonight isn't really to describe what the millennium is. I'm sure Rostefan and I have touched on that many times. Um, just a thousand period, a thousand year span of time after the tribulation where Jesus reigns on earth. Um, and I'm sure we're going to be covering that much more in depth later in our prophecy updates. But right now, my focus is more so to make the case why we can believe in a literal millennium, right? Because if we believe in a literal millennium, we're essentially saying that God's promises to Israel are true, that the church didn't replace Israel, right? That God still has a plan for them. And part of that plan is the millennial period of time. So I'm just going to be using this time to discuss that. I think this is going to be a several part series. I think today I'll just touch on some points and two weeks I'll touch on some other points. I don't know if it'll be a two part, three parter, I don't know. But I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, and I think it's an important one because we talk about the tribulation a lot. 
but I think not a lot of people know about the millennium and the opposing views. Uh, thanks for joining Planting Seeds. Okay, so just to start, what is replacement theology? Like I said, we've gone on and talked about replacement theology in the past, and part of replacement theology, unfortunately, is again, believing that the church has replaced Israel. And if you do that, if you believe that, then you do not believe that Jesus Christ will come back and reign on the earth. You do not believe that uh, the Israelites still have land promises that are unfulfilled, that they still have literal land in Israel that would belong to them that they will get later. You don't believe in those things. But those are the things that will be fulfilled in the millennium. So that's kind of why this discussion is important. So what is replacement theology? Just to review... Uh, adherents of replacement theology believe the Jews are no longer God's chosen people, uh, just as I elaborated earlier, and God does not have specific future plans for the nation of Israel. So that's kind of what replacement theology is in a nutshell. Replacement theology teaches that the church is the replacement for Israel, and that the many promises made to Israel in the Bible are fulfilled in the church, not in Israel, the literal nation and the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the prophecies in scripture concerning the blessings and restoration of Israel to the promised land are spiritualized or allegorized. So I'm sure you guys see this a lot, you know, in different groups and different movements, specifically in those who um, adhere to amillennialism, we'll get into what that is later, post-millennialism. They believe, you know, they'll look at things like Revelation 7 with the 144,000. They'll say, oh, it's not literal 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel, even though that's what the Bible says. They'll say, oh, it's just blessings for the church, and they spin it somehow. So that's what the allegorization means. And, and there's a huge, so this isn't just something that happened in the past 50 years. This has been something that's gone on for over a thousand years in church history. Um, so this view is very huge in the church currently right now, unfortunately, on millennialism. So there's two main views to replacement theology. One is called abolitionist or abolitionism. That is that they see the covenant of Abraham as being entirely abolished. So that covenant of Abraham, um, we go to Genesis 12 through Genesis 15 and on and on again throughout Genesis, through the Bible, God tells Abraham, that, hey, I'll make you a great nation. Out of you will be many descendants, right? He'll make his name great. That he'll give them land. That's the Abrahamic covenant. So those who believe that it's been abolished believe that it's just been done away with completely. And there's some who call themselves Reconstructionists, where they're saying, oh, well, no, it's not been done away with completely, uh, but it's been reconstructed. It's been changed. Uh, so they mean that the part that promises land to Israel now means spiritual promises and not literal ones. So, again, why this is important is because what we believe about replacement theology, or specifically about Israel, in terms of what God has promised them, God's dealings with Israel, what God has in store for Israel, what we believe about those things will determine our views on the rapture, will determine our views on the tribulation, again, the millennial kingdom, the current role of the church, etc. So that's why this discussion is an important one to have from a prophetic standpoint and also from an apologetic standpoint, right? We want to be able to know, is it true that the millennium is going to be literal and why is it literal? And that discussion is important to have because if we say it's not literal, then we're saying God is done with his people and then Paul speaks against that in Romans 11, right? Yeah, Rapture says, I've heard that the promise is spiritual one, not literal. Yeah, and it's it's really big today. You know, it's really big in like the Reformed um, part of Christianity. So those people, Reformed teachers, I mean, they're, they're great, <laughs> you know, 
I, I personally, I'm not reformed. I don't really believe in the five solas and, and or not the five solas, sorry, the, uh, the tulip, tulip thing. So I have a tulip. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in some of their things they believe. Uh, but I mean, there's some great preachers from reformed theology. But unfortunately, when you get deeper into their views on uh, on Bible prophecy, especially the millennium, you'll see that they're on mill, they're amillennial. So they'll look at this and say, hey, it's not a literal 1,000 years. We're currently in the kingdom now, and all those promises God had for Israel in the past are in the church right now. So that's that's not true. So thanks for joining, guys. Um, a lot of new people joined, so I'm just going to quickly repeat. Um, it's just me tonight. Unfortunately, Brother Stefan is feeling under the weather tonight, so he just asked me to take care of it. So if you guys can just keep him in prayer, and I'm sure, Lord willing, he'll be back on Monday with the uh, rest of his IG lives that he normally does. And right now, again, just for a quick repeat, we're just going over the millennium. Um, I'm touching on it not really from a prophetic standpoint, although it's Bible prophecy. What I want to do right now is not really describe what the millennium is, but why, but making a case for why I believe in a literal millennium, right? Or why we can say the Bible talks about a literal millennium, uh, because if we say that there is no literal millennium, then we start going to replacement theology. And that's kind of what brought this about. Um, just focusing on this section of replacement theology, the view that the church has replaced Israel. And if we believe that, we also believe that there is no future for Israel. So replacement theology goes out the door. Our view of the tribulation changes. Our view of the rapture changes. Uh, so that's why I believe this discussion is important to have. So quickly, the various views of the millennium. Um, so there are six references to the millennium as a thousand year period in Revelation 20. Um, this is where a lot of us go to, in the Bible to see what the millennium is. What's funny though is that Revelation 20 doesn't actually talk about the millennium in depth. It just gives us the time period. If you want to learn more about the millennium, you have to go through scripture like Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, there's a replete number of prophecies in there concerning the millennium period that's not really talked about in Revelation or the New Testament as a whole. So one of those, um, Revelation 20 verse 2 says, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bowed him for a thousand years. So that's during that period of time, during the millennium, for a thousand years. Again, there's six references to the millennium as a thousand year period. And why this is important, I'll get into after touching on these scriptures. So Revelation 20, verse 3, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Revelation 20, verse 4, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Revelation 20, verse 6, but they, that's us, the glorified saints later, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Last one, Revelation 20, verse 7, now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So, despite those clear six references to the millennium in Revelation 20, that it's a thousand year period of time, there are still some people who say, no, it is not a literal thousand year period of time. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious, and I'm sure you guys know that as well, that again, people who believe in amillennials and postmillennials, which I'll describe right now, they'll read them, they'll say, no, 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 we're in the millennium right now. The millennium is not a little thousand year period. It's just a really long period of time. Um, and I just have a really hard time believing that, which I'll, I'll, I'll explain why that is. So there are three views concerning the millennium. You guys may have um, heard about these views already. One is amillennialism, premillennialism, which is the one we believe, 
and post-millennialism. So these views all center around when Christ will return in relation to this millennial reign of Christ, this 1,000 year period of time described to us in Revelation 20 and described to us in Old Testament prophecy. And just a quick thing to know is within premillennialism, what we believe, we have the different rapture views, right? So the different rapture views, um, post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, partial trip, all those tribulation views concerning the rapture all are in this umbrella called premillennialism. So what's amillennialism? So first we want to get into what are these different views, um, which basically espouse replacement theology, right? This is the main thing we're talking about, replacement theology. And we're just specifically diving into the millennium within replacement theology here. So amillennialism. So the, in amillennialism, the, millennium, the millennial kingdom is not a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ on earth. So those who believe in this view believe that this millennial period began at Christ's resurrection. So that's almost 2,000 years ago, right? Over 2,000 years ago now. So that's why they don't believe it's literal because you can't have that if it's over 2,000 years ago or almost 2,000 years ago. So they believe that it began in Christ's resurrection and is manifest either in the hearts of saints in heaven or saints on earth. So that's that allegorizing that, well, it's not, the, you know, the Jews don't literally get a land in Israel. You know, the millennial kingdom is actually in our hearts or it's in heaven somewhere. This is what they're saying. I'm not making fun of them. This is actually their view that the millennial kingdom actually manifests in the hearts of the saints, that Christ is like ruling in our hearts or is ruling on the throne in heaven. Um, they also believe that instead of Christ reigning on here on earth, he is seated on the throne of David with the church age being the kingdom that he is reigning over. So according to Blue Letter Bible, Blue Letter Bible is a great source. If you guys don't know it, you can just type it up on Google. Um, you can, um, you know, search up verses on Google, Blue Letter Bible. They'll show you the original Greek, original Hebrew. There's uh, videos of different sermons for verses and things like that. So it's a great resource. And so there's an article on here about the millennium, about specifically amillennialism. So according to Blue Letter Bible's four views on the millennium, they state the amillennialist believes that the kingdom of God was inaugurated at Christ's resurrection. So again, that was almost 2,000 years ago. So they believe it's not a literal 1,000 year period, at which point he gained victory over both Satan and the curse. Christ is even now reigning at the right hand of the Father over his church. After this present age is ended, Christ will return and immediately usher in, usher the church into their eternal state after judging the wicked. The term amillennialism is actually a misnomer for implies that Revelation 20 verse 6 is ignored. In fact, the amillennialist interprets it non-literally. So the prefix ah in the name amillennialism means no or not. Therefore, the name means no millennium. So although the name itself means no millennium, it's not that they don't believe in a millennium. They just don't believe it's a literal 1,000 year period of time. So next up is post-millennialism. So the millennium, they believe that the millennium is an era, not a literal 1,000 years, during which Christ will reign over the earth, not from a literal earthly throne, but through the gradual increase of the gospel and its power to change lives. After this gradual Christianization of the world, Christ will return and immediately usher in the church into the eternal state. Uh, this view is called post-millennialism because it places the return of Christ after the millennium, um, which is uh, very interesting. So again, all millennials, and they believe that Christ is currently now reigning in our hearts um, through the church age, 
post-millennialism, they believe that Christ is ruling right now and the world would get better and better and more Christian. And then after it, it totally gets Christianized, Christ will return and will basically hand over the millennial kingdom to him. So there's, and I'm sure as you guys listen to that, there's a, there might be some problems like, oh wait, we're getting more, the world is getting better, more Christianized. Well, that's not what we're seeing. The world is getting crazier, right? So there's just some, some obvious weird problems with those views already. So premillennialism, again, what a lot of us or all of us here identify as. So premillennialism, we believe that the millennial kingdom is a literal 1000 year period of Christ here on earth that reigns on earth, right? And I, that's why I started this video going through those six verses in Revelation 20 that says, hey, the devil will be restrained in the abyss for a thousand years. We'll rule and reign with them for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not rise for a thousand years. After a thousand years is up, Satan will be released. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand. So we take it literally. And what's interesting is that uh, these people are post-millennialists and amillennialists. One thing that they'll give the premillennials, so people like us, they'll say that, hey, we don't agree with them, but something that's really cool about the premillennialists is that they take the Bible's promises concerning Israel seriously. <laughs> they take it literally. And it's just so funny because Jeff Durbin, maybe you guys know him. I watched a video on him describing these three views on the millennium, and that's what he said. He actually said that. He was like, you know, something I'll give to the premillennialists is that they actually take the promises of God towards Israel seriously. They take it literally. I'm like, aren't we supposed to do that? Isn't that what we're supposed to do by default? Um, so yeah, so those are the three views. And I just wanted to give you guys that rundown because I'll be referring to them again as I make this case for why we can believe the millennium is literal uh, 1000 year reign of Christ. And for those who just joined now, I'm making this case for apologetics. I mean, it's a, it's a mix of Bible prophecy and apologetics. And I'm making this case, I believe it's important um, because if we do not believe that the millennium is literal, then we basically subscribe to replacement theology. We're saying that the promises God has for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants, Israel, aren't true. That they are now given to the church, that, the God, that God has nothing to do with Israel anymore. So therefore, everything that's supposed to be fulfilled during this millennial reign of Christ won't happen, right? So if we do that, then we open up the door to spiritualizing everything that, oh, wait, it's not literal 1000 year period of time. It's just a metaphor for a really long period of time. And oh, God isn't actually going to give, you know, Abraham and his descendants land from the Euphrates River to the Nile, which Genesis 15 literally says. But what's actually happened is that, oh, that just means that we have a lot of heavenly riches in Christ, right? So that's the kind of stuff they do um, that is a really huge problem but it's really big in many mainline Protestant denominations today. So the first kind of reason I want to give that we can say scripture points us to the view that the millennium is a literal 1000 years is the timeline surrounding the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And what I mean is that when we look at scripture, what we get is that first the king returns, Jesus Christ, he judges the wicked and the kingdom is manifested on earth. So there's like an order of events given to us in scripture. First, Jesus Christ comes back, he judges the wicked, and then the kingdom manifests itself on earth. So it's king first, then the kingdom. That's the order. Um, this is an important fact to highlight as both amillennialism and postmillennialism presents an opposing view that we are currently in the kingdom and it's only after this current age runs its course 
that the king, Jesus, comes to judge the wicked and finally usher in the eternal state. So do you guys see that this is totally different from what I just laid out? And I'm going to show you scripture as to why, as to where I'm getting this timeline from. And again, the timeline I'm saying is that what we see in scripture detailed to us is that first Jesus comes back at his second coming. He judges the wicked, you know, those on the earth at that time, the Antichrist, the false prophet, he judges them. And then he ushers in not the eternal state, but the millennial reign of Christ, the 1000 years on earth. But these other two views say, no, 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 we are currently in the millennium now. And it's been going on for over, you know, almost 2000 years now. It's not a specified period of time. Um, after this millennial reign of Christ, Jesus comes back to judge the wicked, and then we go into eternal state. So that is like a total backwards view of what I just highlighted there. So a few um, reasons as to why I believe this. And thanks for joining again, guys. For those who just joined, it'll just be me tonight. Brother Stefan again is feeling under the weather. Uh, so if you guys can pray for him, and I'm sure, Lord willing, he'll be back um, starting Monday just to do his regular scheduled IG lives. So Daniel 2, let's first go to Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel chapter 2, in Daniel chapter 2, we see this statue um, that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed up. Daniel got the interpretation from God after he prayed to the Lord to interpret this dream um, for King Nebuchadnezzar. So in Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar dreamt the statue of uh, uh, with the head of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And those represent different kingdoms, right? They represent Babylon, which is the head of gold. Then after that is Persia, Greece, Rome, and then finally with the toes, mixed with iron and clay. That's the last day's um, Antichrist kingdom. And then we get a, a another kingdom, which is God's kingdom. It's a stone co without hands that crushes all of those kingdoms before it. And then after that, that kingdom spreads throughout the earth. So do you guys see that timeline there? We get the kingdoms. And then after all those kingdoms pass, we have the last days Antichrist kingdom at the end. And then finally God's kingdom, which is represented in Daniel two as the stone co out hands destroys those kingdoms. After that destruction, the kingdom spreads on earth and you know, um, continues to expand forever and ever and lasts forever and ever. That's the timeline I gave you guys. That's the timeline I said scripture points out to us that it's first the king returns, judges the wicked, and then the kingdom manifests on the earth. So God's kingdom is represented by stone co without hands. Daniel 2.34 says, which struck the image on its feet of iron clay and broke them in pieces. It's then that the full statue is destroyed and the time of the Gentiles will come to an end, bringing a start to God's kingdom, which will never end. And Daniel 2 verse 44 tells us that. And Daniel 7 shows us the same picture. This time, it's not the stone with different colors, but it's the four beasts that come from the sea. So Daniel 7 also speaks of the kingdom is coming in, coming after the judgment of the wicked and destruction of the previous kingdoms. And Daniel 7, verse 2 to 8, Daniel sees four beasts. So what we see elaborated to us in the chapter is that the fourth beast is destroyed. So the fourth beast is represented as the Roman kingdom, but ultimate fulfillment of that later is the last day's Antichrist kingdom. So we see that the fourth beast is destroyed and then the kingdom comes. And we see this in Daniel 7, verses 21 to 22. It says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them 
until the ancient of days came. So when we match this with Revelation 13, we see that what Daniel is seeing here is actually about the tribulation. So Daniel, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, as many of you guys probably know, is very similar in its content. It's talking about this very same thing, um, just from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's really paralleling each other. So when Daniel says here, I was watching and the same horn, that's the Antichrist, the little horn, was making war against the saints. Revelation 13 says the same thing. Well, look at that. And prevailing against them until the ancient days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Did you guys catch that timeline again? So we have the little horn making war against the saints. That's the kingdom of the Gentiles. That's the last day's kingdom. And then Jesus Christ returns. The ancients, of, the ancient of days come or came. And then judgment against the wicked, just as I described to you earlier. And judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And after the judgment, the kingdom comes. And this is what Daniel of verse 22 says. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Again, I want you guys to keep this in mind. Because again, the post-millennial the post and amillennial views say that's not true. That's not what scripture says. What scripture is actually saying is that we are in the kingdom now and that Christ will come later to judge the wicked and then the eternal state will come. We just read in Daniel 7, Daniel 2, that that's not the case. We still have to have the last days Antichrist kingdom. We still have to have the tribulation, all these events. And then Jesus comes after that, renders judgment to them, and then the kingdom comes. So that's what we see. So in verses 25 to 27 explains this essentially to be the meaning of the visions Daniel saw. And like Daniel 2, we see a distinct order of events given to which the manifestation of the kingdom is the last thing that happens. So now Revelation 17 and 19. Um, just as we saw both in Daniel 2 and 7, Revelation 17 and 19 shows us that the return of Jesus to the earth and the judgment he will exact on his enemies, right? It is only after these sequence of events in the book of Revelation do we then see the kingdom talked about in Revelation 19? That's very important. Because in Revelation 17, we see um, we see Babylon first being talked about, right? And then we see later in Revelation 17, these 10 kings that will make war against the Lamb, but he will conquer them. Revelation 19, Jesus Christ actually comes back with us, and we see the wine press of the wrath of God, um, where he basically destroys the Antichrist armies, the Antichrist and false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And then after that judgment, after Jesus Christ comes back, and then in Revelation 20, we get the millennial kingdom. So that's the order we see, both in the Old Testament and both in the New Testament. Now, Matthew 13 and Matthew 25. Well, the parable of the wheat and tares, Matthew 13, and the judgment of the nation in Matthew 25, uh, we see that the parable of the wheat and tares in 13 um, shows that the end of the age, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out his kingdom all things that offend. And those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's Matthew 13, 39 to 42. So in this parable, Jesus gives concerning the parable of the wheat and tares, he talks about when he comes, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and then judgment happens. So those tears will be cast into furnace of fire, which represents it's just a metaphor for hell. And he says, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's what Matthew 13 says. Likewise, in Matthew 25, we see that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, 
and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory. So Jesus Christ comes back first. So that's Matthew 25, 31. At this time, he will separate believers from unbelievers. Then he will do this judgment. And he says in Matthew 25, 34, to the sheep on his right hand, enter the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So essentially what I'm trying to say for you guys here is that the pattern for the arrival of the kingdom on earth is clear to us. What we see is that Jesus comes back first to execute judgment and it's only after that that the kingdom is inaugurated on the earth and believers enter into the kingdom. The post-millennial and amillennial views are contradictory to what we see outlined in scripture. If we're currently in the kingdom, as amillennials and postmillennials believe, when did Christ return to exact judgment on the Antichrist? These are the kind of questions we have to ask them. And the kings of the earth, the false prophet, and Satan, as elaborated to us in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13, 17 and 19. When did Christ return with his angels to judge unbelievers on the earth and cast them into hell while also welcoming believers into the kingdom? as Matthew 13 and 25 elaborate to us. So again, guys, these are just the questions you have to ask these people that adhere to this belief because the belief that they adhere to, again, it's rooted in replacement theology. They say that the millennium isn't literal. And by saying that, you're saying that God doesn't have anything to do with his people anymore, that he's cast them off. He doesn't have a plan for them. Uh, he's only looking to the church and he's given all the blessings, all the promises to the church. So that's the... This is what we're trying to tackle right now, that it, can this be true? Is this what scripture says? And right now, the first reason I say that that's not the case is because the Bible clearly outlines an order for us, that Christ first returns, he judges the wicked, and then the kingdom comes, right? So thanks for joining, guys. And just to wrap this up, the second reason I got here, so first we looked at the timeline. Um, the second thing I believe um, can lead us to the understanding that this millennial period of time, this millennial reign of Christ is literal, and therefore we can conclude that yes, God still has a plan for his people, and their replacement theology is false, is that in James 2, 5, we're called the heirs, we're called heirs of the kingdom, right? That we will inherit the kingdom. The kingdom is still yet a future event. So James 2, 5 says, um, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? So my question to this is, wait a minute, based on James 2, 5, if the kingdom age was already inaugurated Christ's resurrection, just as the post-millennial says, just as the amillennial says, why does James call fellow believers heirs of the kingdom? So if you guys don't know an heir, what an heir is, is that if there's a king, if there's like a monarchy, right? If there's a king currently or a queen and they have children, they have heirs to the throne. So let's say they have five kids, their oldest boy is the next heir to the throne. What that means then that after the king dies, the um, throne, the power, the, the kingship passes on to the oldest son, right? That's it. So he's an heir to the throne. What that means is that he's not currently king. That's still a yet future event. So that's what that word heir means. And I'm sure all of us knows what that means. But I just want to give that example so we can understand what James is saying there in the context of that word. So when James says, James 2, 5, I'll read again. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So when he says heirs of the kingdom, he's calling us heirs of the kingdom, even at that time. So we have to remember, guys, the amillennials and postmillennials 
believe that the kingdom is currently now, and they believe it started at Christ's resurrection. And if that's the case, I guess James did not get the message, right? He just totally missed the memo because he's saying something totally different. He's still saying that, wait, guys, we're heirs of the kingdom currently. And that means that just as a prince who has not inherited the throne, he's going to be king in the future. We still have not inherited the kingdom yet. That's still future. So obviously James is totally missed the memo of this. He, he didn't, I guess someone didn't tell him that. Wait, James, the kingdom was inaugurating Christ's resurrection. We're not heirs. We're currently, you know, partakers of the kingdom. He missed the memo. So we see the same thing in Matthew 25. And we just looked at that judgment earlier. And, you know, we looked at James 2, 5. But this same thing comes straight out of the mouth of Jesus. And I, again, I want you guys to really take this in. Take this in and compare it with the amillennialist view that says that Christ is currently ruling in our hearts right now. Take this in and compare it with the post-millennialist view that says Christ is currently ruling on the earth and the world is getting more and more Christian. It's getting better and Christ will return at the end. So Jesus alludes to this truth in Matthew 25 as he refers to the sheep on his right hand. So remember Matthew 25, he tells the sheep on his right hand to enter the kingdom. Watch what Jesus himself says because we just looked at what James 2, 5 said. He says, ears of the kingdom. We're ears of the kingdom. Watch what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 25, 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's at this point when Jesus judges the nations that believers will enter the kingdom. And what word do you use there? He said, inherit the kingdom. So the two questions we have to ask is, why would Jesus tell them to inherit the kingdom if the kingdom age had already been ushered in as resurrection almost 2,000 years ago? Wouldn't the kingdom have already been inherited and in their possession long before this? So again, as an heir, if you're a prince, if you're waiting to take the throne after your dad passed away, you haven't inherited the kingship yet. You're still waiting for that. That's what it means to be an heir. That's what it means to have an inheritance. So if we're currently in the kingdom right now, first of all, James missed the memo, right? <laughs> That's a joke. James missed the memo. Second of all, did Jesus miss the memo? Did Jesus not know that? Jesus, no, no, wait. Your, you, your kingdom was already inaugurated at your resurrection, right? Did Jesus miss the memo too? So obviously that's not correct. And you guys know I'm just joking here. That's obviously not correct. That's not what scripture is telling us. We first look at the timeline that Jesus first has to return back to the earth, judge the wicked, and then the kingdom is ushered in. Not only that, we see that we're also heirs of the kingdom right now that we haven't even inherited the kingdom right now. It's still a future inheritance that we're waiting to receive from the Lord himself. And Jesus himself says this in Matthew 25, 34. He says, come, you blessed my father. Now, now at this point in time, after the tribulation, at that time, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And then they go into the kingdom. So although the amillennial and postmillennial views assert that the kingdom age is present reality, in an unspecified duration of time, this raises some questions if we're still currently considered heirs of the kingdom. One can inherit something that's already in their possession. Or in this case, believers can inherit the kingdom if the kingdom is already present. So if the kingdom is already present, there's no need for Jesus to say, come and inherit the kingdom because it would already been present at that time. So Daniel 7, I'm almost done here, guys. I'm glad I'm making good time here. Uh, Daniel 7 also shows us the same thing concerning the inheritance of the kingdom being given later. Hey, Changing Pace, thanks for showing up. Um, so when we go to Daniel 7, 
verse 27, we see the same truth reflected. After the fourth beast rules for a time, the Lord will destroy it and the kingdom age will be ushered in. I've already gone into that concerning the timeline. After this is when it's specifically noted that the kingdom will be given to the saints, right? That matches what Jesus said concerning at that point in time, after judgment is rendered to the wicked, that then the saints will inherit the kingdom. They'll be given the kingdom, will be inherited. inherited. That matches what James says, that current reality right now is that we have not yet inherited it, so therefore we are heirs to the kingdom. So this is what Daniel 7, 27 says. Then the kingdom and dominion. So again, before this, the fourth beast was destroyed. Jesus already came back, destroyed it, and now the kingdom is being ushered in. So this is what Daniel 7, verse 27 is talking about. Then the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. When? After the destruction of the fourth beast. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So he says then, after this, after what? After the destruction of the fourth, the fourth beast, then the saints, the people of the Most High, shall be given, the kingdom shall be given to them. So it's only after the series of events occurs that the kingdom is given to the saints or inherited by them per what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 34. If it's only given at this specific point in time, then it logically follows that before these series of events take place, the kingdom was not yet given and therefore we do not yet possess the kingdom. Therefore, just as James says, right, we are still heirs of the kingdom. So as you guys are seeing, Daniel 7 is saying the same thing. James is saying the same thing. Matthew is saying the same thing. What are they saying? They're showing this timeline that first what happens is that the age of the Gentiles has to run its course. After that, Jesus Christ comes back. He judges the wicked. The kingdom is inaugurated. Up until that time, until that happens, we're still heirs of the kingdom. But after that happens, then we inherit the kingdom. The kingdom is given to us. So what we see in Matthew 25 as well as in Daniel, follows what we should be expecting, keep in mind what we're told in James 2, 5. We're heirs to the kingdom, and because scripture is clear, there are still heirs to the kingdom, the inauguration of the kingdom still awaits a future fulfillment, and that's at Christ's second coming. In his book, The Coming Kingdom, and I would recommend this book for all of you guys, because uh, Dr. Andy Woods, if you guys don't know him, you guys can go to his um, YouTube page, or YouTube channel, sorry, um, he has great videos on different parts, different books in the Bible, Revelation, Daniel, etc. But he does a great study on the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. He goes over these views, post-millennialism, amillennialism, premillennialism. He goes over scripture. Why we can, you know, have faith that what scripture is saying is pointing us to this view we call premillennialism. That Christ still has, or that God in general still has a future for the Jewish people. And that's kind of what we're focusing on, right? We're focusing on replacement theology and specifically the millennial kingdom. We're focusing on the fact that if you believe in subscribing replacement theology, you believe that the church has taken over these promises that God has for Israel. So therefore there is no millennial kingdom. It's, it's just an unspecified period of time. These land promises he has for uh, the Jews, though they're just allegorical, they're not really being fulfilled. Um, so he looks at these views. And he also has a book called The Coming Kingdom. So you can watch whichever one, you can pick whichever one you want. You can buy the book or you can watch the video, same content, but I highly recommend it. Uh, so The Coming Kingdom by Dr. Andy Woods. 
And in his book, he talks about what I just talked about concerning being the heirs of the kingdom. So in his book, he says the New Testament consistently portrays the church as an heir of the coming kingdom as opposed to a ruler in the present existing age. And he references some scripture like Acts 14, 22, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5, 2 Timothy 4, 18, 2 Peter 1, 11. James 2, 5 says, listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised those who love him? Premillennial scholar Peter asks, if the church is the kingdom and believers are now in it, why designate them heirs of a kingdom? And that's what I'm trying to say, right? The Bible in the New Testament clearly states that we are currently heirs of the kingdom. And the logical questions asked after you see the amillennial viewpoint, you see the postmillennial viewpoint. They say that, hey, we're in the kingdom now. The kingdom is not future. Uh, Christ is currently reigning in our hearts or uh, where the world is getting better and better. It's becoming Christianized. The, the, ask them, the question you have to ask them is, wait a minute. If that's true, why is the Bible is currently saying that we're heirs of the kingdom? Doesn't that mean we have to wait for a future inheritance? So that logically doesn't follow. So contrary to what I just laid out, the amillennial and postmillennial views assert that once Christ returns at the end of the kingdom, which they believe is now, he will judge the wicked and usher in the eternal state. So that's a key thing. They believe that the eternal state is the next thing, not the kingdom. And that's wrong. That's not true. As I explained earlier with the judgment of the goat and sheep nations in Matthew 25, it's at Christ's second coming to the earth. He then tells the believers on his right hand to inherit the kingdom. This is not a reference to the eternal state, which is vastly different. So I believe it's clear as the confusion both these views are creating within the church and for people, the kingdom comes once Jesus returns to the earth and it's only then that believers will inherit it. And just to kind of summarize everything again, guys, the reason I'm kind of going into such depth with this, the millennial period, is because I'm touching again on um, the replacement theology. Brother Stefan and I have done two videos on replacement theology, I think back in May, back earlier this year, and we quoted, you know, we saw um, historical accounts of some early church fathers who uh, fortunately were anti-Semitic, such like Martin Luther, unfortunately, who was a great reformer, right? He, at the end of his life, had, unfortunately, anti-Semitic views. They believed in replacement theology. They believed that the church replaced um, the church replaced Jews. And I believe from Augustine then, after those views, you know, became more and more popular, more and more mainstream, Augustine was the one to really popularize this amillennial viewpoint. He started popularizing, allegorizing scripture, and from them it just kind of exploded and now we have many mainline Protestant denominations believing in amillennialism, which is replacement theology, right? So we know um, Romans 11, Paul makes it clear that God is not forsaking his people. He asks, has God, you know, cast off his people, which he's foreknown? He's like, certainly not, for I am also of the tribe of Benjamin. So, so we just have to keep that in mind. I believe this is really important because we're just entering a time period where Anti-Semitism is on the increase, not only outside, because on the uh, in terms of non-believers, it, it it doesn't it shouldn't surprise us that they're anti-Semitic, um, because ultimately this is a spiritual matter. So that of course the devil will blind them from the truth. Of course the devil will implant ideas in them to go against God's people. And prophetically speaking, we know that's going to be the case. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is anti-Semitism replacement theology uh, within the church, and it's growing and growing and growing. Um, so I believe uh, having these kind of discussions, talking about these kind of topics, talking about Bible prophecy um, from an apologetic standpoint helps clear confusion 
and really um, shine a light on those false views. So this is just part one. So we talked about today just um, looking at the timeline of, okay, the kingdom comes after Christ comes and then he judges the wicked and then the kingdom comes. And then we talked about we're the heirs of the kingdom. So therefore we still await a future inheritance. So a future fulfillment of the kingdom is later. So in part two, in two weeks, I'm going to touch on the land promises. I'm going to go really in detail concerning those land promises. Excuse me, because a lot of millennials, they, again, allegorize that. But what we see in Genesis 12 through 15 is that God tells Abraham to walk through the land. He said, I'm going to give you this land and your people inherit it. So it's you, you'll see later in two weeks that, hey, if you're going to allegorize this, you're going to have to really do a really you know hard job of butchering scripture to kind of get to the interpretation that God just suddenly says, oh, oh, psych, I was just kidding. Uh, the Jews aren't going to inherit the land. Um, what's going to actually happen is that it will be spiritually fulfilled in the church. You can't, you can't have that. So next week we'll um, use what I just said as a foundation. We'll reference these ideas next week. And then I'll also delve into the land promises just to add another apologetic as to why we can be confident in the fact that the millennium is a one, literal 1,000 year period of time. Uh, just a girl with the big God ask. Uh, sorry, stupid question. No, there's no stupid questions. Thanks for asking. But what does John 17, 3 mean? So let's go to John 17, 3. I don't remember that off the top of my head, but let's go there. If you guys have other questions, feel free to um, ask. So let's just start with John 17, 1. So John 17, 1 says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Ah, okay, so this is when he was in the garden before he was uh, um, went through the trial and then crucified. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Uh, verse 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And then your question, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, so I think this is an easier one. So verse 3, let's just repeat that. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he says, he basically lays this out in this eternal life. And I believe what we can take from this is basically what we see in scripture revealed again and again, that salvation is through the Lord God, but specifically revealed in the New Testament in Christ, right? We saw earlier in John um, that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So he's just essentially, from what I'm getting here in John 17, three, as he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's basically declaring that salvation is found only in God, specifically through Jesus Christ. So I believe that's the declaration he's making in this prayer um, in terms of eternal life being rooted in him through, through Jesus Christ um, um, from God the Father. So I hope that answers your question. That's what I'm getting as I read this. Um, as I read the prayer that Jesus prayed, I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Thanks for joining us, Will Grace. Thanks, guys. Um, we're rounding up here. Um, a lot happened. Uh, just here. So he said, NIV says now, though, like an inheritance we can have now. NIV says now, though. Uh, do you, are you still referring to John 17, 3? I can look at the NIV version. 
let's see here, because I was reading from the KJV. So let's see, NIV, um, John 17, three says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yeah, so it essentially says the same thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, if you guys have any questions, feel free to ask. Again, now that we're wrapping up here, I'm just gonna repeat that, you know, it was only me today. Uh, Brother Stefan is currently feeling under the weather, so if you guys can just keep it on the prayer. Um, he just wasn't able to make it tonight, but hopefully, um, Lord willing, by Monday, he'll be feeling better. He'll be back um, doing the IG Lives for Monday through uh, Friday. So, yeah. So, and for those who join late, we're going to obviously have this recorded and uh, saved on Fig Tree Watchers. So, you know, five, ten minutes or so after this broadcast, I'll save this and you can watch this on the replay. Um, today we just went over the millennial kingdom in reference to um, anti-Semitism, in reference to replacement theology. Uh, we just looked at different views on millennialism, post-millennialism. And next week we'll continue to be looking um, at arguments to basically argue the fact that why can we believe that the millennium is a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ and not just allegorized, not just that Christ is reigning in our hearts currently or or something like that. And again, people actually believe this. People currently believe that Christ is reigning in our hearts. And that book I referenced, The Coming Kingdom by Dr. Andy Woods, he tackles those views. He says that, okay, if you believe that Jesus Christ is currently reigning in our hearts, uh, why can we quench the spirit? Why does Paul tell us, you know, not to defile um, our, our bodies, that, you know, that is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Why, do, why does the Bible say these things, not to quench the spirit and such and such like that? If Christ is ruling in our hearts, and he says that because Old Testament prophecy lays out the idea, paints the picture for us that during this period of time, during this kingdom age, Jesus Christ will be ruling with the iron rod. There will be righteousness on earth. Um, no one will be messing around. So there will be righteousness. No one breaking the rules or anything like that. So if, if, if they take that and they now say, oh, Christ is ruling our hearts, well, it doesn't make sense. Does that mean that Christ can't really rule? Us, he can't really help us control our behaviors. Then why, if Christ is ruling our hearts, then why can we quench the Holy Spirit? Why can we, you know, defile our bodies and things like that? So those are the kind of questions you have to ask yourself when you're making these claims. That's like, no, it's not. You know, the kingdom isn't Christ ruling our hearts. The kingdom is literally Christ will be ruling on the earth. And the Jews had that expectation. You know, after feeding the multitude, after the miracle feeding the multitude with just a free few loaves and of bread and. Uh, fish they just multiplied after they saw that you know and i want you guys to read that they wanted to take jesus by force and make him king why it's not because they believe the kingdom is some spiritual thing they believe that the kingdom is coming that their messiah is going to be a political re leader that will drive out the romans that occupied them during that time so the jews knew what the old testament scripture was saying they saw jesus and they're like hey is this the guy is this the miracle worker Let's make him king by force. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, you know, went into the mountains to hide because he obviously, at his first coming, didn't come as a political leader. He came as a savior. He came as a suffering servant. But his second coming, he will come um, as the king of kings, lord of lords, that the Old Testament prophecy is pointed to. It's just that he was, he's both, but at different times. Um, so that's just a lot. <laughs> that's a lot there. But I hope that kind of clarifies things for you guys. And I hope that this gave you a better general understanding of the kingdom, why this is a big issue. Because I'm sure some people might say, well, 
it doesn't really matter if you believe the kingdom is now. It doesn't really matter if you believe the kingdom is later. Like I said, it really does matter. If you believe that we're in the kingdom now and that that there is no future kingdom, you're just writing off the Jews. You're calling God a liar, whether you know it a lot or not. You're essentially saying all the promises that God has for the Jewish people are null and void. And if that's the case, if God can just write off his promises that easily, who says that he can't write off the promises he has for us, right? So these are really big questions that we need to be tackling. Uh, they're just not things that we can just say, well, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal because it determines what we believe about the church, what we believe about God, his promises, his faithfulness, um, and what we obviously believe about what's to come in the future. So that's, that's enough of me talking. <laughs> I've talked a lot. Any last questions uh, before we wrap up here? Let's see, let me read some of the comments. Um, Chimzy says, we wouldn't be able to sin if it was for that. Yeah, yeah, if God was reigning our hearts as the, as the amillennials believe. Um, Rav Shear, thank you for everything you do, brother. I, yeah, no problem, you know, uh, thank God. Thank God, really, it's all him, so. Okay, guys, so if that's it, um, I'll just remind you, if you haven't yet followed us on Instagram, you can follow us on Instagram. You can check us our, you can check out our website. We have our link in the bio for articles um, uh, and different things on our website. Uh, you can follow us on Telegram. We're on Facebook as well. And then obviously you can follow me in a Mitsu study. You can follow Brother Stefan at um, Proof of Your Faith. If you guys have any questions after this, you can reach out to us. Um, I will be sending this sheet, so I have a Word document that I'm reading off of for my notes. I'll be sending this document in the Telegram um, channel, so you guys can look out for that, and you guys can download that, use it as you you don't want. I just want to use, I just want to give it to you guys as a resource, and also I just want to tell you guys that everything I read off here were basically snippets of posts I've done on my personal um, channel, Himitsu Studies. So. Uh, some of you guys know that I'm currently going through the book of Revelation. I've been going through the book of Revelation for like three years now. Uh, I'm currently in Revelation 20, currently focusing on the millennial reign of Christ. So these things that I went over uh, currently cover like posts one, two, three of that series. So you guys can check my, um, my channel out as well, my page out as well if you want to check that out. So... Yeah, so with all that said, um, I wish you guys a great night. Again, pray for Brother Stefan. He's feeling on the weather. Hopefully, by God's grace, um, he will um, just help his recovery be sped up, and he will be back on Monday. So I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend. Talk to you later.